Hello everybody. I apologize that we've been gone for so long. Um, I really hope that you all had a good holiday season and that you are feeling good moving into the new year. This episode is episode 28 and I hope you enjoy. Welcome back everyone. Today we have a special guest, Yoselin Corrales. She is a director of operations and programming for heritage camps for adoptive families. She's a fellow adoptee and she's here to share with us some of her life experiences. So welcome Yoselin. How are you? Hey everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good. Today it's just me. Unfortunately, Glenna and Deontay weren't able to join, but they send their love. Um, And yeah, we on this podcast just want to hear from you as an adoptee, your experience being an adoptee, things you've noticed, um, especially just, you know, life is crazy and everyone's life is so different. And just we'd love to hear whatever you feel is important to share with our community. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me. Um, So I am an adult adoptee. I was born in Honduras. Um, I was adopted at nine months and I moved to Colorado um, at about that age. Um, I've lived here most of my life. Um, Big fan of Colorado, so I don't intend to leave. Um, I've worked in the nonprofit industry for about nine years now. Um, predominantly in human services. And I would kind of say that my three main tiers are vocational training, um, community and residential mental health, and services for those experiencing homelessness. Um, So I've predominantly worked in those industries, but now I'm working um, at a new nonprofit, Heritage Camps, which obviously has been around for a while um, and has been um, part of a lot of adoptees' lives. Um, So that's kind of what I'm doing now. Um, I've had kind of a tumultuous few years, as I'm sure we all have, Um, but I lost my mom earlier this year. I ended a long-term relationship. I left a four, you know, kind of left the grind of a a 40-hour-a-week job um, and really have just been, you know, establishing what I feel like I want my life to be, um, aside from kind of the expectations that I feel that I've put on myself in the past. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Such big changes. Um, I think the last couple of years have been so enormous for so many people with big shifts and, um, changing jobs and new awarenesses and losses. And so, yeah. And I just wanted to say thank you for all the work you've done working with homelessness and, and, and those populations. I, that's incredible. And, um, I, um, I, I don't know. I just so wish I could do something or I guess I could do something. Right. But I just, I'm so amazed at people who work with those populations. I know they're really hard to work with. I know it can be really hard on our systems and our hearts and how we, you know, how we view the world. I know I can even shift that. So thank you for that work. And now you work with adoptees and their families. Is there anything you would say you've noticed in particular that feels sort of related to your past work that also impacts adoptees, if that makes sense? Sure. So, you know, I would say that there are, you know, especially from coming from a lens of mental health and with a background in psychology, 
Um, I would say that I think mental health is a really big prioritization. Um, I know we talk about reducing the stigma and really just opening up the doors to understanding that mental health is something we all have a, you know, we all deserve um, more or less need. We all deserve it. We have, we deserve the opportunity to kind of explore our thoughts, explore who we are and who we want to be and find a way to make that happen. Um, So I think, especially within the adoptee community, there's a, you know, I don't want to speak for myself, but I, um, there's a pretty common theme um, of kind of working to find an identity or develop the identity that you personally want, as opposed to one that maybe has been something that you've seen growing up or something that you were educated to be or something that society decided that aligned with how you looked. Um, so it's really just the establishment of who am I truly as opposed to who have I been because of it was safe or comfortable or you know, any of these other pieces where it didn't feel like we could truly be our authentic selves initially. Well, yeah, as you say that I'm noticing in ways where I still hide and where I still hide under my white German Jewish name and in how that feels comfortable for me in so many ways. So even just hearing you, I'm like, oh, dang, yeah, I still, I have some work to do for sure. (laughs) We all do. It's okay. We all do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to speak to that for yourself, how you've noticed, um, you know, your conditioned self and not maybe being authentically you all the time in the past or even now? Yeah, I think, you know, some of the things that have been brought up in the podcast before is, you know, really trying to be a perfectionist. I want to do things well. I want to do them to the best of my ability. So kind of echoing that sentiment. I would also say kind of the expectations that are put in place. I think, you know, especially during my generation of adoption and even still, there's a really big lens from society with their rose colored glasses that adoptees should be grateful um, and that we should take advantage of the opportunities that we were offered. Um, And I really did um, ingrain that thinking as a, as a child, and I think in some ways I still do. Um, I'm very appreciative for my adoptive parents, and I acknowledge the opportunity that I have been given. Um, and so I really want to take that seriously. Um, I don't want to, you know, in a way like let my parent my parents down, um, let my family down, let myself down. So these grandiose expectations of perfection, which obviously are not obtainable. Um, But also I've kind of engaged in a lot of um, black and white thinking throughout my life, Um, really just either or it's this or it's that Um, I've had a really hard time in the past and even still seeing kind of the gray area. Um, I really need things to kind of be concise or either this way or that way. And it's sometimes my flexibility has not been where I've wanted it to be. Um, And especially in the work that I do, flexibility is vital, being able to be adaptable and willing to make change. Um, And working with people where they're at um, is super important. And being able to embrace a constant flexibility is really vital, especially in the kind of the work that we do. But also that needs to really be there with ourselves. So for me, you know, with black and white thinking, the way that it's kind of um, affected me in my life is it's kept me from taking risks. It's kept me from trying things because... I've always been like, oh, well, I'm not going to be good at it like right away. Or, you know, if I'm not going to be good at it, I'm not going to even try. 
Um, and so for me, I had to really work to embrace new things and find new opportunities to give myself the opportunity to say yes, so I could continue to grow. Um, because I found that I was really just keeping myself within a comfortability level and not expanding my, you know, my interests, not expanding my thinking. Um, and that's really not who I wanted to be. Um, so I have really had to work, you know, I'm currently in therapy. I've been in therapy for over a year now. I love therapy. I was in it when I was younger as well. Um, but that's something I'm really prioritizing within my sessions is getting away from that need to have something be right, have something be wrong, um, have something be this way or have something be that way. Um, just acknowledging that within our lives, there's nuance and allowing us to sit comfortably in that nuance without discomfort. Yes, I'm just over here in all of everything you're saying. It all resonates for me. Embracing new things, I think, is very challenging for adoptees. And it's really challenging, I think, to feel uncomfortable. And I don't know what it is. I haven't been able to pinpoint it, but a lot of my clients that I work with, especially my littles, they get so flustered and overwhelmed when there's a new task or a new activity. It's so hard for them to embrace new things. And mm -hmm. I think it is related to that primal wound of, you know, related to fear or attachment or if I look a certain way, maybe I'll be rejected. And I think a lot of times it's unconscious. So I love that for you working with therapists over time and just your own work where you've really uncovered some of these pieces for yourself and at Tough Love, we are all about therapy <laughs> over here. Um, we are definitely in support of that and think it's so, mental health is so important. I think it's becoming less and less stigmatized and mm -hmm. I love that you even with better help or more of the online or text therapy things while, you know, I don't know, tech therapy, I think is, it, it's certainly more helpful than, than nothing. I think that's really helping to shift the lens, but you know, personally as a therapist, like I love the one-on-one -on -one and really being able to sit down with someone and be like, Hey, this is what's happening for me. How crazy am I? Be honest. <laughs> and then being able to, to heal and repair in that relationship has also really served me, me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also will just kind of touch on how black and white thinking, I feel like kind of made its way into how I viewed relationships. Um, because I think that, you know, I have had kind of, I, I feel in a way kind of an awakening as far as relationships within the past year. Um, I had been in a long-term relationship for almost eight years. We were engaged and um, I think through the pandemic and kind of during that time where we had a lot of time together, we acknowledged that, you know, things just weren't right for us to really be together. And so we parted and went our separate ways. Um, but I had a really strong belief. And I feel like this is not only from kind of societal conditioning, but also from what I saw from my parents was that, you know, oh, well, if it's, we're going to fix it, right? If the relationship is struggling, we're going to fix it. And so I had this persistent desire to try and keep fixing it. Um, but I don't feel that that effort was ever reciprocated. And so I was putting a lot of effort into a relationship that I felt was one-sided. And so eventually I had to walk away. Um, but I really believed that uh, in this kind of concept of a relationship escalator, you know, you start dating someone, then you move in, then you get engaged, then you get married, then you have children. Um, and I believed that just progressing through those steps would make a relationship better. Um, it would make the problems go away. And it, you know, I found that that wasn't the case. Um, and so 
kind of this standard of what relationships look like and within our society didn't really align with my views and it didn't align with my experience. Um, and so I've just really been exploring new ways of thinking about relationships and not necessarily prioritizing romantic ones. Um, and just really trying to, again, kind of find the nuance in what my needs are and what my desires are for relationships and pursuing that as opposed to labels, um, as opposed to kind of this escalator concept um, and really just allowing myself to pursue what makes me happy as opposed to what I think people will approve of. Yes. Wow. I never heard of this relationship escalator term before, and I find it so fascinating and so spot on. I think that's how a lot of people think relationships are. Oh, we do this, this, and this, and this, and then we're happy. <laughs> and then we did life and we can check it off, check off the box. And I'm similar in that I don't think I, I really believe in that version of what society has told us works. And I think a lot of adoptees just from our our adoption trauma have this view of like, well, we have to fit into these boxes, right? Because mm -hmm. we felt like outsiders our whole lives. And so it's like, that's just like another box to get into. And I think it is reflecting and turning towards ourselves and prioritizing us versus a lover or a partner to figure out what we need. And from there is where we actually find freedom and where we find mm -hmm. our authentic truth. And we can step out of the conditioned self and then I think from there is where the growth begins. And then that unlocks this whole world that we didn't even know exist. And it's so sad because I think so many adoptees never get there and they're stuck in the limiting beliefs and the perfectionism and the addiction and the perfectionism. And they're just like, this is my box. It's comfortable. I'm staying here, even though it's causing me tremendous pain. And so I love that you're naming this here. And I hope those of you who are listening, if you feel trapped in this box, like hear us, like you don't have to stay stuck in this box. It's not, it's not a forever thing. It might be right now, but no, there's other versions that exist and are here for you. Right. And I feel like so much of this kind of exploration started with <laughs> a hiking actually, um, you know, I started hiking during the pandemic and it's funny because hiking used to feel like a punishment to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not something I enjoyed. Um, but I started climbing 14ers and I did my first 14er about two years ago. Um, and the entire way up, I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I've got to turn around. There's no way I can do this. And, um, I ended up making it all the way to the top. Um, then, you know, the way down is a whole nother story, you know, you still feel like you can't do this. Wow. Um, but I made it back to the car and, you know, I completed my first 14er. Um, and it just, I had this emotional reaction, like immediately after coming back to the car. And I just like burst into tears um, because I realized that I had been telling myself for my entire life that I couldn't do things. But I just proved to myself that I could. And so it just made me really question how many other times I'd limited myself and said no to something. And that really was kind of what shifted my perspective and trying to find the nuance, trying to find the gray areas um, and trying to find new opportunities where I could acknowledge that maybe it's not easy, always an easy start, um, but it is something that I can accomplish with a little effort, you know, a little work and work that I'm willing to put in, work that I enjoy and um I've learned that, you know, getting out into nature is the ultimate coping skill for me. Um, I really love being 
kind of in nature and away from the hustle and bustle of the city. So it's just been really a great experience for me. And I appreciate just kind of that one experience and how it's impacted my life over the past two years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What an amazing story. I love to hear those stories where you can overcome something like I can't do it. I can't do it. And they're like, Oh my goodness, I did it. <laughs> what a win. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So thanks for, for sharing all of this. Um, I feel, I feel motivated just listening <laughs> to you. Um, you mentioned something at the beginning regarding losing your mom and just sort of relationships in general, like with mm -hmm. parents. And so I was wondering if you could maybe speak to that. And a part of me wonders too, um, do you think some of these shifts were related to the loss of your mom? And if so, maybe to sort of tell us a little bit about that, if that feels comfortable to you. Sure. So um, I lost my mom back in January. Um, she had had a stroke back in the fall of 2019 and had been a, in a long-term care facility for rehabilitation purposes. Um, unfortunately, you know, COVID happened very quickly after that. And so she never really got the treatment that she deserved or needed. Um, but she was in a long-term care facility and, you know, she ended up getting ill. And so she ended up getting hospitalized and then it was pretty quick. Um, she had pneumonia. And so, um, she ended up passing. I just realized you probably don't need all those details. Sorry. <laughs> um, but after my mom passed away, I really did become a full-time caregiver to my father. Um, and I, you know, manage the, our household. I manage our finances. I work full-time. I take care of my health. I take care of his. Um, I am an only child. I, my, most of my extended family is in California or out of state. Um, so I don't have really anyone here to help with <laughs> the responsibilities. Um, so I definitely feel like after my mom passed, I realized that my capacity had shifted. Um, so I would say, you know, after when I, because I, I left my full-time job back in April, and I would say that, you know, that was a big self-awareness piece. As much as I loved the work that I did, I acknowledged that I did not have the patience to do it. I did not have the um, willingness to um, kind of continue the day-to-day -day, um, bureaucracy of it. Um, unfortunately, even within nonprofits, you do run into that. Um, and so I just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. Um, and I think that, you know, my lack, my lack of patience, I definitely think has stemmed from losing my mom. Um, my mother was really thoughtful, really considerate. Um, and she, you know, I think she was a wonderful woman. And I think I have had less patience for people that don't display, um, that consideration and don't reciprocate that effort. Um, so I think that's something I've kind of acknowledged about that. Um, so yeah, I definitely would say that my career change was so a hundred percent because of where I was at after losing my mom. Um, I really just had to step back and do what was right for me. And at the time, what was right for me was not working in person 40 hours a week anymore. Um, so I found an alternative position with heritage camps that um, allowed me to really explore a new field and do new things and kind of change up my schedule. So that's been amazing. Um, as far as the relationships, you know, I acknowledge that I, my mom was my primary caregiver growing up. Um, she was the one who, 
you know, was there with me after school. She was the one, they're the one, the, you know, the one that was there in the mornings making me breakfast. She was the one that it was about my athletic activities and my choir concerts. And um, she was the one who really supported me. Um, and at this time, my dad was working full time. He was, you know, kind of coming and going because he was working for an airline. So he would fly around a lot. So I just didn't have the opportunity to bond with my father as much. Um, and so now that I've lost my mom, I'm seeing some pretty stark differences between the way I relate to my mother and my father. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, either one are better or worse. Again, not doing the black and white thinking. I'm just acknowledging that the relationship is different. And I've had the opportunity to really reflect on why that is. Um, and I also have to, in a way, kind of accept that the relationship is what it is. Um, my dad's older, he has some health issues. And um, I've acknowledged that I want to care for him and just take care of him as much as I can, you know, the same way that I would have for my mother, um, had it been, you know, her instead. So just kind of acknowledging the difference in my familial relationships with my adoptive parents. Um, I think it's really common, especially in adoptee circles to have kind of a wanted family. So you develop friends and really close relationships with, you know, the people that you, you know, my closest friends are a lot of the friends I've made through heritage camps um, that are other adult adoptees, especially from Latin America. Um, and so kind of building on that and building those um, close relationships has been valuable to me because, you know, something I've really had a hard time willing to kind of say out loud is I do have fears about losing my dad um, because in some way it'll kind of feel like returning to being an adult orphan. Um, I will have lost both of my parents after already having been adopted. And so in some ways I have a certain amount of grief about the experience of going back to, in a way, being alone. Um, and so I'm really just trying to nurture the relationships that I have. So when my dad does pass away, I won't feel so alone because um, my friends are a great support system and I want them to be able to be there for me. And I want to be able to accept their help um, and accepting help is also a challenge sometimes. So just kind of, you know, I've been really thinking about a lot of those elements in my life and um, just how they, you know, relate back to what my wants and needs are. And I think what, everyone wants and needs close relationships that are vulnerable and authentic where there's trust and honesty. And um, I'm really doing what I can to build those. Yeah. I think you've just brought up so many important pieces and how our chosen family, friends, community is so incredibly important. And I've really found that since engaging with heritage camps and working with many of the camps, not just my home camp, Latin American camp, but mm -hmm. African Caribbean camp, even domestic adoption camp, and finding those really special connections where I know I'm understood and I don't have to explain everything about me. And there's just this understanding. So I want to really highlight that. And my dad passed away in 2018 and I was really close with him and I feel very similarly where my mom, her health isn't great and she lives on the East Coast, so I don't really see her too much. And um, I've noticed too my thoughts around that and how I will be also when my mom passes, I've also had the same thought like, dang, I'm going to be an orphan again. And I'm actually in reunion with my birth mom um, and my birth and my siblings. I have three of them. And so for me, 
that gives me a little bit of reprieve, I think, like a little bit of, okay, that is sort of a safety net, but it's nothing compared to the, you know, my adoptive family and the relationship I've had. And so I haven't like been able to foster this new relationship as much, but I think you're pointing to some really massive, massive things and ideas that I don't think we talk about enough. And so I'm really glad you're bringing this to the surface so we can we can unpack this a little bit more. I actually grew up with an adoptee and by the time she was 20, um, she only had, she was raised by a single mom and her mom passed away. And so by 20, she was again orphaned. And then I think her foster family, like the mom or dad passed away. So just sort of like this like complex Mm. grief on top of grief on top of grief that usually triggers our original um, attachment wound. And so with adoptees, I think death is this whole other layer and not to take away from anyone who's lost a parent. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, you know, when we don't necessarily know who our biological family is, and then we go back to this, oh man, this is how I started life. It's just a different experience. Yeah. And it's interesting to kind of be reconciling those feelings of abandonment um, here at 30, uh, 32 specifically. Um, and just kind of acknowledging how much insecurity I have had around, um, loss. Um, I know this has kind of been another subject that has been addressed on your show before, but kind of the push and pull of staying in relationships far too long and also cutting them off way too quickly, um, because of that fear of being left. Um, and I can, say I've participated in both of those things. Um, I've stayed too long in relationships and I've left way too early. Um, And I think in a way, this experience with losing my mom um, has kind of made me look at loss in a new way. It's really allowed me to assess, you know, what my needs are in the process. And, you know, it's, it's given me the opportunity to be more open with my emotions. Um, I think I've definitely, you know, kept my emotions under the surface a lot of my life. I've kept my vulnerabilities and my weaknesses hidden, right? So no one can see them. Um, And I think this was, you know, an insecurity and a loss that really couldn't be hidden. Um, It was something that kind of was drawn out for a while. And so in some way, as I feel like I had the opportunity to process it for a while, um, you know, it wasn't kind of a quick loss with my mom. It did take a little bit of time. So I had, in some ways, I guess you could say the luxury of having a long goodbye. Um, did it make it any easier? No, absolutely not. But it did give me the time to process and open up in those relationships that I've been building to allow myself to be vulnerable and share with my friends and allow them to offer me help. And um, I actually had another friend whose parent passed away. And, you know, even though it's it's hard every time that happens. It in some ways easier to have someone that can relate to that experience. Um, and I know that when my mom passed, the first thing I did was reach out to someone who had lost their parent. And I just think, you know, especially within the adoptee community, and this is something that we touched on at Latin camp this summer was that adoptees do tend to have older parents. And so we really encouraged parents, adoptive parents to kind of be really forthright about what plans are for if you, you know, something were to happen to you or something were to happen to your partner, you know, how do we proceed through this? Because the worst thing for me when trying to handle my own emotions and also trying to manage my life was also having to deal with the logistics of my mother's passing. Um, I felt 
like I had never been clued in on a lot of what needed to be done or the process of how things needed to be taken care of. And so I kind of just felt at a loss and I felt like I had to kind of explore those things on my own. Um, so I would say as much as adoptive parents can prepare their children or, you know, adoptees, check in with your parents, what, you know, what plans they have set aside if that were to happen. Um, no one wants to think about that, but what you really don't want to think about is when you're already grieving loss of a parent. Um, so if I could just, you know, throw one thing out there, that would be my recommendation. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important. And I think we're so scared of talking about death and it's like, after we're born, there's one thing we know 100% is going to happen. That's how we're going to die. That's like a, mm -hmm. it's a requirement of being a human is that we, we do pass on. Our bodies don't live forever. And um, that can be really, really scary, I think. And um, especially when we're faced with it in the moment. And actually when my dad passed away, my mom did all, everything because it was, it was very unexpected. And so my mom got everything in order, told me, you know, went over, it was like a whole long conversation of where everything is, what I need to know, all these things. And actually it made me feel really good. Uh, not, I mean, not like happy, good, but like, okay, I know what to do and I know what to expect. And so that, um, after she passes and so that made it, um, less scary, I think for me. So, yeah. so yeah, I love that you're naming that. I think it's really important for people to consider that. I think that's a really good idea. Is there anything else that you would love to share? It's been so wonderful chatting with you and, and hearing you and everything you have to share with us. Yeah, thank you. I'm just trying to think <laughs> if there's anything I'd want to add. You know, I think, you know, ultimately where I'm at in life is just the willingness to be open-minded. Um, the willingness to accept what will come, um, the willingness to be flexible when it does, um, and ask for help when I need it. Um, you know, just today, <laughs> this morning, I had a friend come over just to help me with some yard work. Sounds really remedial, um, but it honestly has been really overwhelming for me with all of the things I have on my plate anymore, mm -hmm. um, with managing finances, a house, a job, um, a variety of things that I'm doing. Um but, you know, yard work has kind of been one of the things I've been putting off for a while. And um, so it's, you know, I'm overwhelmed with the level of work. Um, I kind of get in this cycle of like feeling crappy because I'm not getting anything done. Um, while subsequently the environment isn't, you know, the way that I would want it to be for myself. So I kind of get stuck in this negative thinking cycle. Um, and so, again, just when I go back to those strategies that I found that have really worked for me that I'm engaging with in therapy about being open-minded and asking for help and allowing myself to be vulnerable with my, my emotions and my needs, um, I find that I am able to get my needs met. Um, and I feel that it's not a struggle. I feel that I don't have to be embarrassed. And I just, I really want to reiterate that it's so important to be able to communicate those things and find the right ways to communicate with those around you. Um, I have a really good quote that I like to refer to in it is that effective communication is not always about being right. Mm -hmm. So I can effectively communicate, but that doesn't mean I need to be right. And again, kind of getting away from the idea of right or wrong, um, just kind of some of these ways that these cognitive distortions entrap our thinking and our processing, um, I think really hold us back. And the more awareness that we can have around um, maybe some of the things that we're thinking of, you know, our thinking errors, um, 
you know, the, the better I think that we can identify the pieces of ourselves that we want to improve upon. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can get behind all of that. I need to write that quote down immediately. <laughs> I like to be right to, uh, to what's it called to, uh, like when it's bad, like to, to, to a detriment. Sure. So do I, I love to be right. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's, I think it's something that we're ingrained with, right. Is a mm-hmm. rightness. I have to be right. I have to be correct. Um, and I don't think it's so much about being right or correct. It's like, what ideas can I bring to this collective unit, whether that be your family, whether that be your workplace, whether that be your friend group in order to contribute what's the best of me aligned with what's best of others to make the best circumstances and the best outcomes altogether. You know, I think it's, we get too much caught up in our egos um, about, you know, what's right, what's not right. Um, And that I think just keeps us from being able to align and work together. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I'm really going to try and embrace working away from that thinking point, (laughs) even though it's very hard for me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom and your life and just things that you are realizing and not only realizing, but like stepping into and now living. Um, I think that's really incredible and brave and courageous. And so thank you so much for, for showing up and knowing that when you do the work and you show up how you are, it helps everyone, all of us, you know, I feel like I've gained so much just listening to this and I hope that the listeners have also gained something. And, you know, for those of you who are listening, take what serves you and toss out what doesn't. And I would challenge you to, when you're having a conversation, notice when you're stuck in that pattern of, I need to be right. And I'm not going to stop talking until I'm right. So maybe you can even use that um, this week and try it on and see how that feels and step into the uncomfortable and know that it's okay to not be right all the time. Um, Well, thank you, Yoslin, so much for your time. This has been so wonderful. Um, Yeah, and we'd love to have you back to talk about more things. And maybe next time Glenna and Deontay can join so it can be all of us together. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and we will see you on the next one. Until then, take care.